I was going to have you be seated, but let's just go into the reading of the word. Our passage this morning is Exodus 16, and then I'll be skipping to John chapter 6. Exodus 16, 13 through 15. That evening, the quail came, and it covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. And when the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared of the desert floor. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. John 6, 32 through 35. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. God, this morning, would you take this word and illuminate us, illuminate it for us? Would you bring your Holy Spirit to teach us? And Father, may you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive. Amen. Good morning, church. It is my joy to be with you again this morning. I am Beth Paz, the director of college students and young professionals here and I am continuing a series started by Pastor Matthew called Following the Cloud. As we continue the story of the Israelites from their exodus out of slavery towards the promised land. And so as we're in Exodus chapter 16 this morning, we find ourselves one month into the journey of freedom. Four weeks after this incredible exodus from Egypt. Four weeks after they had seen the series of incredible signs and the wonders and the miracles that God did to allow Pharaoh to say, get out of Egypt. And in fact, the Israelites took all kinds of articles of gold and silver and clothes from the Egyptians as they left. Four weeks of newfound freedom and some challenges seem to have arrived. No doubt their food reserves were getting a little bit meager, they were running low, and they were thinking to themselves, huh, you know, back home in Egypt, we had everything we need, we provided for, sure, we lived under oppression, but we didn't even, we fed ourselves and we fueled an entire empire. And so they started to become doubtful and anxious about where their provision would come from. So much so that they started saying, ha, man, if only, if only we had died back in Egypt. 
There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food that we wanted, but you have brought us out here to starve. It's like parents taking their kids on a road trip, headed out to vacation, and right five minutes into it, what does the kid say? Are we there yet? I'm starving. I don't want to go on this vacation. And so the chapters right here that we're in, in the book of Exodus, are talking about how there's a scarcity of food and water, and this anxiety had turned into a crisis for their leadership, and the joy of liberation quickly dimmed. Don't we all gravitate back towards what we can control and predict what we, what we can understand, what we can grasp. I mean, apart from the miraculous escape, they experience God as deliverer, but now they're saying, will God, can God do the daily things? Can God be our provider? Is God enough? And so, they handled this dilemma excellently. They talked about it as a community. Grumbling is talking, right? Grumbling. Seven times in this chapter, it documents how the people grumbled. They grumbled. You know what grumbling means? To express resentment, dissatisfaction, anger, or complaint by grumbling in half-muted, hostile tones. I promise you this is in my notes before Pastor Matthew gave me my uh, number to address your complaints to me. The, the Israelites, they grumbled. I imagine that they were fluent in the language of grumbling because it was probably the best coping mechanism under the Egyptians. Grumbling, grumbling like gossip, it's, it's the same kind of thing. It's destructive in its effect and it's completely ineffective. And so this is the hangry people that we have left to dealt with, all right? The Israelites are a hot mess of hungry and figuring out what to do and they grumble to their leaders instead of talking to God. But God had chosen these people to show his love to the world. They weren't special. They were hangry, all right? And God demonstrated that even these he could choose, these ordinary people, to demonstrate his extraordinary power and love to the nations. And thus the Israelites must enter into the classroom of unlearning. The classroom of unlearning. This is the place, this wilderness would be a place of learning how to have relationship with God. Yes, the wilderness is barren and it's desolate and it is a place where we're stripped of our normal orientation, the ways we normally have security and safety. The desert and the wilderness humbles us. Jesus himself was tempted in the wilderness. It tries us, it tests us, and it prepares us. There are lessons in the wilderness that are not for the faint of heart, and the Israelites were on their way of learning them. 
They unlearned that gossip, that grumbling, and had to learn how to take it into constructive prayer. To take back that slave mentality that was holding them bondage and embrace a free countenance from daily work to weekly rest. From scarcity and hoarding to abundance and self-reliance to God-reliance. From oppressive rule to a guide who was inviting them. If you are in the classroom of reorientation, take heart. Because God is preparing you. So they grumbled, they were hungry, their reserves were low. Verse 9. Then Moses told Aaron, say to the entire Israelite community, come before the Lord. He has heard your grumbling. It's all right. Our prayers don't always get it. But he hears our grumbling. And while Aaron was speaking to the whole community, they looked towards the desert and there was the glory. There was the glory of the Lord appearing in a cloud. And so Moses and Aaron redirected their community from grumbling to glory. They helped them move their eyes back towards the center towards the one who could speak and through that fire and fog cloud, the splendor of God resonated forth and the glory appeared. You see, the presence of the Lord is is always central. It's always significant and it's close and hearing and seeing and responding. We have to center onto the presence of God When we're feeling the weight of God's glory, everything shifts. When we're resting from our striving, everything shifts. When we lift up our prayers, we shift. When we worship, the atmosphere shifts. This centering on the cloud would reorient this massive community towards trusting that not only was God deliverer, not only was God protector, not only was God miracle worker, but God is provider. God is Jehovah Jireh. So when you find yourself grumbling, about circumstances and needs and anxieties. Do you have something in your mind? Because we all have those needs. We all have those wants. When we question if God is truly enough, when we're ready to sacrifice liberation to go back into the slavery of, of scrambling for our own security, it's time to lift our eyes up to the cloud. And as we seek God's presence, we experience God's power, which helps us wait for his provision. Let me say that again. As we seek God's presence, we experience his power, which sustains us to wait on the Lord for his provision. That is why we follow the cloud. And... 
And so in verse 12, the people gathered, they worshiped, they came near to the Lord. And the Lord says, I have heard. God hears and God responds and God provides bread from heaven and meat. God is the source of that provision. And so that evening the quail came. The quail came and in the evening there was a layer of dew and when the dew was gone there was thin flakes like frost and the people said, what is it? Manna, what is it? I think it was the very original frosted flakes. It was the best cereal ever. <laughs> okay, no, but what, what is it, this manna, this substance? It was provided with parameters. For five days, you collect a daily provision, okay? On the sixth day, you collect a double portion because on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, none will be provided. So there's the provision with the parameters, okay? They were in the classroom, but this was the lab. And so, in the morning, they would gather their manna. But, but y'all, they were in the desert. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of food in the desert, so what's the first thing you're tempted to do when you're wanting meat and bread? Let's gather all we can get. If, if, if some is there, let's get all the more that we can. And so, they did not obey the instruction and they hoarded that food. They failed their first test. Duly noted, because the author goes to great pains to say it, was, it smelled and it filled with maggots. Okay, consequences. It's a process to learn how to trust in God. It doesn't happen overnight. Eventually, they got the hang of it, and they daily collected this manna. And on the sixth day, the manna was sustained so that they could rest and worship on the Sabbath. Joshua 5 it indicates that this daily manna lasted every six days for 40 years until God's provision took a different form. Manna was provision for the wilderness, but I think the lesson of Sabbath was provision against self-sufficiency when they left the wilderness. So I think a little bit about provision and the provider this week. Some observations about God's provision that strikes me is that provision does not always come in the way that we want it to in the form or the time that we expect. Provision can appear not to come. Provision is not bound to a physical manifestation. It is also spiritual and emotional and psychological. Some provision will not be revealed or delivered until eternity. Provision can be missed. Provision can be disappointing. Think about the nature of God's provision in my life. This has been a very interesting journey. 
um, because God provided me this incredible full-time job that I was super excited about. And then the, the way that this job would work is that I would fundraise my own salary for all of it. And I said yes. And so I began to learn what it looked like to invite others to provide my resources to fund my ministry work for a decade. Now, you can imagine this comes with some challenges. Not everybody loves talking about money, giving money, finding uh, some of the ways that we struggle in trusting God's provision. And so I was at lunch with a few um, women and they were all in nonprofit work and we were talking about some of the struggles and some of the, the challenges that we had. And this one woman, she was very, very quiet and at the end of it, at, at kind of in the middle, she said, you know, I don't, I work in full-time nonprofit, but I don't do any fundraising. Um, I don't have the need to, to work. I, I'm provided for through my husband. And so she, she said uh, this very great question, what do I miss because I don't fundraise for this work like you do? What do I miss? That was a fantastic question. It got my brain, what have I learned over 11 years of fundraising for ministry? And it just started spilling out of my mouth like, oh my goodness, I, I understand so much about God's provision. It is always on time. <laughs> it has never been late. I have learned how to cast vision because it's not about asking someone to fund a cause. It's about saying, here's the vision as God provide, is prompting you to, to contribute towards it. Through that, I learned how to connect with people I never would have connected with. I have friends in incredible different places. I found that I started to contend with God. My prayer life changed in a rich and deep way because I knew that it was his way or nothing at all. So how are you gonna show up? And you know what? I may not, God's provision always surprised me. I may not have had the funds to find a place, but we went to Hawaii on vacation. You know what, I didn't, I didn't actually purchase my car, but I was given a car. You know what, when, when I needed a way to get in, I was scholarshiped unexpectedly. God's provision always came, but not in the form or the way that I wanted it to. It came often through community. And it came always from the hand of God. And by the way, your paycheck comes from the hand of God, not from that corporation. It led me to really uh, consider this quote from uh, Pfeiffer and Chung. They make a distinct, distinction about how we seek God. He said, there's a difference between expectations and expectancy, all right? Expectations demand a certain result, and expectancy trusts and hopes. Expectations create anger and disillusionment in our faith when they're not met, but expectancy is an openness to any outcome that God desires. Expectations force God to act in a box to say this is how we want it, but expectancy allows God to be God. 
God to be God in our lives, activating his own will. So church, we got to learn about God's provision through our expectancy in his presence, but not expectation of how it's going to look. Amen. So a second thought on the provision and the provider. You see, provision, seeking provision is different than seeking the provider. We can get stuck in looking for the provision and miss the provider. Put another way, you can receive the provision of God to sustain your body and miss the provision of God to save your soul. This is why Jesus says in John chapter six, he he says "Your, your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they died. And Jesus himself illustrated this point when the devil tempted him in the wilderness to turn stones into bread and he quoted back from Deuteronomy which reads in full, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, feeding you with manna which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so now let's move into John chapter 6. Jesus continues this very narrative out of Exodus. Jesus has been interacting with the, with the crowds and with the disciples, and he just fed the people bread. 5,000 men scattered on a grassy hill. And he said, how will they eat? And the disciples were scrambling we don't have enough money. That would take a year. Uh, just send them away. <laughs> get rid of this problem. But Jesus said, have them sit down. And Philip, Philip found a boy who had five barley loaves and two small fish. And Jesus broke that bread, blessed it, and distributed it. And everyone ate till they were full. Now, what was the miracle here? What's the miracle? Was it that Jesus broke the bread and distributed it and that they ate and that there were 12 baskets left over? Was that the miracle? Or is the miracle that a little boy shared his five loaves? Is the miracle that out of all of those people gathered, there was a little boy who said, use what I have. I've got five loaves, a childlike faith, and a generous heart. A child provided that meal blessed by the Spirit. And so the people, though, they came after Jesus. They wanted to discuss this. And Jesus, like, cut to the chase. I know you just want, you just want that, that physical provision and he's trying to get them into another level. Okay, so in 626, he says this. I know, that, I, I know you're looking for me, not because you saw the sign I performed, but, became, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils. And so the people are, okay, Jesus, what then do you require? What are the works of God? What is it that you require? 
And in verse 29, Jesus responds, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. To believe in the one he has sent. And he goes on to say in 33, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry, will never thirst again. What is our work, church? To believe. To believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that God did more than provide manna in a desert. Jesus, as the Son of God, did more than just feed a crowd. We believe that his perfect life and his brutal death on the cross presents a pathway to eternity and present hope. That is what we believe. And in that belief, we have to work at it. We're in the lab. We're in the lab, y'all. We have to work at it. We have to stop grumbling. We have to press in and worship when we don't feel like it to orient our trust to God and not ourselves to cultivate expectancy and not expectations. Tell me, how do we cultivate this belief? Somebody here has to tell me how the Lord made a way for you. Somebody raise their hand. Has anyone experienced the healing of God in your life in a way that you cannot explain? Healing of God. Tell me, somebody in here, have you experienced someone who should have died, but they lived? Amen. Amen. He does it. Somebody tell me that you received something so generous you could never pay it back. Who has received something so generous that it comes only from the hand of the Lord? Tell me somebody who's been rescued from a pit of mental illness and seen your life delivered out of that darkness. Amen. There is a work for us to believe he has done it, he is doing it, he will do it again. He has provided, he will provide, he is providing. Trust in the Lord and wait on him. Be strong and take heart and wait upon the Lord because he is good and his love endures forever. We choose to believe. Pfeiffer and Chung, they continued, the choice towards expectancy, cultivating belief, it transforms us. We become liberated from the deception of false hope. We find a resurrection waiting for us and a revived hope in God. We give up on ourselves. We give up on the circumstances that tell us what's possible. We don't know how God will do it. We don't know when God will do it. But we have made a choice to trust that God is able to do all he has promised and we will leave the results to him. We kill our expectations and we raise our expectancy. Church, have you heard something from the Spirit for you this morning? A 
I want you to receive that word from the Spirit for you this morning. We're going to prepare for communion right now. We're going to go into celebrating the Lord's Supper. If you're at home, I just want to encourage you to grab something to eat or drink. It's really a perfect segue, this passage, into communion. You know that today is World Communion Day, that we celebrate this in solidarity and in unity with believers all around the world who are remembering the bread from heaven today. We have in this passage the exact introduction. You know, after this manna came down, after this manna was, was uh, the substance of the Israelites for those 40 years, they took a jar of it, this jar, and they, as per the Lord's instructions, kept it to remember. That jar of manna was preserved to show that the bread came down from heaven in the wilderness and sustained the people of God. But Jesus, the bread of heaven, sustains our soul for eternity through his resurrection from death. And you know, the lesson of the hoarded manna reminds us that the body of Christ is meant to be broken and blessed and shared, to be given away, and that it sustains us on the daily, on the daily. As we enter in, I just want to invite you to take a moment and prepare your heart. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me? Lord, we come to the Lord's Supper and we say we believe, but help us with our unbelief. We just create this space to enter our hearts with you, just, just to talk with you if we've been grumbling. We just wanna, we just wanna talk with you. You know, uh, for those of you in the wilderness, pressing in for survival, he provides. Press in, wait on the Lord. Seek God's presence. Lord, we seek your presence, your powerful, powerful presence, God, that sustains us through the waiting. And our trust is built as we see what you have done through the life of Jesus and as we experience it in the life of this community. Help us wait on you. Guard, guard us from self-sufficiency. May we remember that we live off of your breath alone. Join me in this prayer if you know it. Our Father 
who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. So take the bread. Take the bread. And Jesus took the bread and he, while they were eating, he, he broke it and he blessed it. And he gave thanks to them. And then he gave it to them. And he said, take and eat. This is my body. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant. It is the new covenant in my blood. Friends, take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. Friends, as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus, the hope of eternity until he comes. We're going to move into a time of worship. And as we do, I wanna invite our prayer team to come up. And I wanna invite you to commune with the Lord, not just through this bread and this wine as we tasted, but in your spirit and in your soul. So if you need a special word of waiting on the Lord for his provision, come. If you need a moment to fix your eyes on the glory and the splendor of the cloud as you seek his presence instead of his provision, come. If you need a touch from the Lord to encourage you today, come, let us stand in worship. Stand in worship. <laughs>